You're listening to audio from New City Church in Champaign-Urbana, Illinois. We are a gospel-centered church with a heart for the next generation, passionate about making disciples who will renew our city in the real Jesus. For more information about New City, please visit our website at www.mynewcity.church. New City family, Sunday morning, happy Sunday morning. I just said Sunday morning is a fact. It is Sunday morning, but happy Sunday morning. First uh, Peter chapter four is where we're going to pick up. We're continuing to truck through our series in First Peter. We're we're drawing close to the end. So man, we're uh, yeah we're we're on the tail end of the book here. In July, we're going to be walking through a series called Disciple. Um, about what it means to be and make disciples of Jesus. So excited for uh, excited for that. I'm glad y'all are here. First uh, Peter chapter four verses twelve through nineteen. As you find that, will you go ahead and stand this morning in reverence for the reading of God's word? First Peter chapter four, verse twelve. It says this: Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. This is God's word. Y'all can have a seat this morning. Well, when I was about 17 years old, I, uh, I got to be part of the youth group leadership team, which is probably one of the lamest Christian-y kind of things that you can do, but I was proud, okay, at the time, and so we, uh, we went away on a re- leadership retreat, and uh, as we got away, we were doing high ropes courses, all this kind of stuff, and inevitably, what came was the trust fall, right? Anybody done a trust fall in the room, right? Don't do one right now. Nobody's going to catch you, but um, so we, it's a bunch of teenagers. Right. And so we, we start doing this trust fall exercise, ah, ha, ha, fun, fun, fun time. And we think, how can we make this more dangerous? How, how can we not only injure our pride in falling to the ground, but how can we tr- risk injuring our bodies like for real, for real? And so we, uh, we find this old cabin out in the woods. This is a true story. We find an old cabin and it has a chimney that's like kind of stepped up on the sides and we're like, we should jump off of that chimney. That's going to be the move, okay? And so we got like 15 people down low, and uh, this should tell you something psychologically about your pastor. When everybody's like, who's going to do this? You know who went first? Uh-huh. I was like, I'll do it. I think I can fly anyway. I'm 17 years old. I'm a little cocky. So I, uh, I climb up, and I get up top. And it, it's one thing to say, I trust you. It's another thing to jump, right? 
Like I get up on top of that chimney and my knees start knocking, but I'm not showing it because I'm, I'm tough, right? I'm smooth, cool, and collected. I jump. They catch me. One of the most terrifying experiences of my life, but uh, spoiler alert, I survived, okay? Made, made it through the trust hall fall. Saying I trust you is one thing, jumping is another. Nothing tests our trust in God like suffering. Nothing tells us the difference between if we have jumped or if we're merely saying, I trust you. We find out in suffering who we actually believe is in control of our lives. When the fire of suffering comes, God gets blurry and pain gets clear. You ever felt that? Experienced that? And so often we do what every generation before us has done. We start to view God through the lenses of our suffering rather than view our suffering through the lenses of our God. Instead of going, God is faithful and now I'm interpreting the circumstances of my life through that reality, we flip the script and we go, I'm looking at the suffering that I'm facing and now I don't know if God can be trusted. Is this not the struggle of our first parents, Adam and Eve? When Eve came to be tempted by the surf, serpent, and then the serpent said, man, God's holding out on you. He's keeping something from you. The script started to flip. She didn't hear temptation through the lenses of what she knew to be true about God. She heard things in the reverse. This is our great danger in suffering. But Peter wants to flip our lenses in the right direction this morning. He wants us to view suffering in the right way through the lenses of our God. Verse 19 is a great summary of what he's talking about here. Um, this, this verse kind of summarizes our whole text for this morning. Look back at verse 19. It says, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. I want you to hear this morning. Here's what Peter is telling us. Because God is faithful, because he's actually faithful, we can trust and follow him in our suffering. Man, some of us need to remember that this morning. That God is faithful. We can trust him in our suffering. And we're going to see this morning as we walk through this passage exactly how God's faithfulness shapes the way we see our fiery trials. So here's, if you're a note taker, here's the big point. Trusting God in suffering. That's what we're talking about. We're going to see three things Peter calls us to do. Number one, do not be surprised at suffering. Number two, rejoice in your suffering. Uh-oh, that's going to be a tough one. Uh, number three, experience suffering for the right reason. Experience suffering for the right reason. Point number one, let's go back to the top of the text. Do not be surprised at suffering. In March of 2020, I'm sure I, ha I had the moment that all of you had. When stay-at-home order came into place where you looked around and you went some version of this. Uh-oh. What in the world is going on in the world? 
Me and I had just about six months earlier relocated my family to plant this church here in Champaign. And man, I am sitting in my office. The stay at home order has gone into effect. We were just ramping up. A few of us were gathering in my living room on Sunday mornings and that all went away in the matter of a couple of days. Nobody knows what's going on. It's all the uncertainty. It's the panic. It's the fear. And I'm going to be really honest with you this morning. I had a moment sitting in my office where I said, God, I have sacrificed so much to do what you've called me to do. And you're going to treat me like this. Ugh, isn't that an ugly thought? You been there? Like, man, after all I've sacrificed, after all I've done, I've been a good boy, you owe me. That's essentially what I was saying to my father. I was surprised, surprised by my suffering. Friends, when we are surprised by our suffering, it is not because God did not give us a fair warning. That's not the reason we're surprised. Look back at the Bible, verse 12, it says, Beloved, do not be surprised. There's a command. Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Look, what's that first word in the text? Everybody say it with me this morning. Beloved. You can talk out loud in church. That's okay to do. This is a safe place. Beloved. Don't miss this family. Peter is talking to people that he loves. He's talking to people that he has affection for. And more than that, he is not referring to how beloved they are to him. He is pointing them to how beloved they are to God. People who suffer are beloved to God. What do we do with that? What do we do with that? Beloved. See, suffering and being loved by God are not mutually exclusive. It is not one, by, one or another in this world. He's talking to the beloved. And then he gives us the command. He says, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. The trials you are not supposed to be surprised by are fiery. What do you know about fire? It's hot, right? And when you're in the middle of it, it is unbelievably painful. I've been watching a lot of National Geographic documentaries because apparently that's where I am in life. That's, I watch other people have adventures from my couch and it's great. And man, one, one of these sequences talks about the dynamics and the importance of forest fire in a healthy ecosystem. I say, I'm watching this forest burn to the ground and everything in me is going, this isn't good. Like something really bad is about to happen. And then they, they take a pan across the charred landscape. There's smoke. There's all this black ash. And then they, they drop the bomb. They're like, hey, you know what one of the most fertile substances on the entire planet is? Ash. And within a matter of months, greenery begins to reemerge in the landscape. Fire brought growth. That's what fire does in us. It's painful, it's re refining, it's difficult, but it tests the integrity of your faith. It's the place where goodness blooms. That's why he tells us not to be surprised. 
It's like, hey, if God, if God loves you, if you are beloved, guess what he's going to do? He is going to promote growth in you. He's going to help you grow into the person that you were meant to be in Jesus. And then he gives us this little phrase right here. Don't be surprised at the various trials when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Something strange. If you're anything like me, the first question that you ask when you suffer is, why is this happening to me? What did I do? I'm taking inventory. Did I do something to step into this? Friends, if you are, if you are currently a follower of Jesus, or maybe you're, maybe you're even looking over the fence, exploring Christianity, I want to disappoint you, but I also want to free you this morning. If you, if you think that suffering is reserved for people who don't know Jesus, you will not think that for long if you follow him. You won't think that for long. Man, suffering in a broken world is an equal opportunity offender. And I thought my life was going to get easier. I'm serving you. You're supposed to fill in the blank. You're supposed to protect me. You're supposed to make things good for me. You're supposed to smooth out the road in front of me. Friend, I want to, I want to tell you this morning, the good news is not that you will not suffer. The good news is that someone who loves you will use your suffering for good. That should give you a ton of hope this morning. Suffering is inevitable, but there is a sovereign, good, loving creator who will use your suffering to bring good about in your story. Don't be surprised at suffering. We need to ask a couple of questions in reflection. These are good to grab a picture of, to think about through the week. Number one, do you believe in your belovedness? Jesus is not in the business of losing his beloved. He died for his beloved. As you are suffering... This doesn't mean your suffering is good. It doesn't mean the, the person who is enacting your suffering is good. It doesn't mean any of that, but I want you to hear me. You are, if you are in Jesus Christ, you are cherished in the heart of God. He has not turned his back on you. You are loved by him. Man, this, this week we've had, man, just the difficulties of learning how to parent an almost three-year-old kid. And I'm like, I, I feel like I'm just crushing it at life right now. It's like, it's great to be as angry as you've ever been every time you wake up, right? <laughs> that my kid is just losing his mind. As soon I get out of bed, it's like, man, I used to be, when I was single, I was like, get a cup of coffee, say la, I'm thinking on the word of God. But now it's like, I open my eyes and I'm instantly furious. It's great. <laughs> but even in my anger, when I discipline Bennett, guess what? I do not love my son's pain. I don't love that I'm, I'm putting him in timeout or I'm spanking him or whatever. I don't love his pain, but guess what? I love him enough to discipline him. I love him enough to help him become a tower of strength someday. 
to become a place where other people, all that passion, all that wild energy that he has, I want to help him learn how to use that to bless others. And if I didn't discipline him, guess what? I would be a bad father. Discipline is a mark of belovedness. You know that you're beloved by God this morning. Do you believe in your belovedness? Number two, what, fiery, what are your fiery trials revealing about you right now? While fire purifies us, guess what it also does? It reveals the ugliest parts of us. Uh, when you suffer, is it self-pity that comes out? Is it nobody understands? Or is it the spirit of our brother Job? Ben quoted this earlier. Said, God gives and God takes. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That is the heart of the Christian in suffering. You see, if your father didn't love you, he would let you continue in your sinful attitudes and actions without interruption. He'd just give you over. He'd say, you want your sin? Fine, have it. But the fire is the place where the intensity of the love of God becomes real. Realizing that the love of God is so much more dynamic than this one dimensional, I'm always going to make your life easy. It's this robust and beautiful love that changes you. You find that in suffering. Ask, what, what are they bringing out in you? And what do you need to take to Jesus in that? And then the last piece, are you confused or are you confident in suffering? Suffering becomes confusing when your heart says stuff like this doesn't happen to people like me. People like me don't suffer. None of us, no matter what we've done for God, no matter how much good we've brought into the world, are immune to suffering. And you have a decision before you this morning. Will Will you spend most of your time trying to find the answer to the question without an answer? Why in the world me? Or will you cling to what you know to be true? God is doing something here. He loves me. He is trustworthy. He's not turned his back on me. He is using this broken world to make me into the image of Jesus. Are you confused or confident in your suffering? Sometimes things like that can feel a little trite to us. Like confident in suffering. We're going to unfold some of that in point number two. Look at point number two. Rejoice in your suffering. Rejoice in your suffering. Every time we hit a moment of suffering, we've got kind of a fork in the road. We've got two main perspectives. Number one, we start to suffer and we can go down the road of bitterness and anger. I'm furious. I'm frustrated. Or number two, we can be totally naive and we can smile through the pain. We can pretend that things are okay, that things are buttoned up, that things are fine. I want you to hear both of those roads are actually very damaging. Damaging to you, your own soul. Damaging to others around you. 
This is where Jesus offers us a third way, the way of rejoicing. Look back at the Bible in verse 13, it says, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Peter is commanding this church and commanding us this morning to rejoice in suffering. The best illustration I can think of um, of rejoicing this morning is every war movie you have ever watched. They're, they're going at it in ground warfare, right? They're in a shootout, but then you hear the Apache helicopters coming. And when air support shows up, you know what? I stand, I'm, I'm not in any real danger, but I stand up off my couch, like, let's go, right? The air support is here. Freedom is here. Safety is here. That is what the heart of rejoicing is all about. It is from your core, recognizing that air support has arrived. Safety is coming. Help is coming. Rejoice. And man, maybe this morning you hear that. Rejoice in your suffering? Really? Do you know how I'm suffering? Our temptation can be to think that Peter is being totally trite right here. Like, just throw a smile on. It's not as bad as you think it is. No, no, no. The biblical idea of rejoicing is far deeper than throwing a smile on. Why would we do this? The next part tells us. This is the why behind the command to rejoice. Look back at the Bible. Rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may be glad when his glory is revealed. Do you notice that the text calls the sufferings you are going through Christ's sufferings? Jesus so relates to you in your suffering that he calls it his own. You are not suffering alone. Right now, the Lord of all glory is near you in your suffering. And Peter, by bringing up Jesus, he wants us to look at the whole of the gospel story right here. Christ suffered. He suffered to the point of death. But Christ rose. And he's coming again. You know what that means for you in your suffering and your death? It means that you will share in his resurrection glory if you are in him. Friends, this is the only way that rejoicing is possible in your suffering. It's if there is truly more to the story than the destruction that you are currently facing. And guess what? I get to bring you really good news this morning. There is more than the destruction that you are currently facing. There is a hope, a living hope, as Peter would say earlier in the book, beyond the trials of your life. Peter says, 
that when the glory of the Lord is revealed in your life, that all that suffering will somehow cause you to rejoice, make you exceedingly joyful. When you see his glory, it changes the way you're able to look at your own life. Do you know what God's glory actually is? That's one we throw around a lot, right? For the glory of God. What does that even actually mean? Glory is the weight or the beauty or the draw of something or someone. It's irresistibility. I think of a guy who was a, a pastor I looked up to a lot who's since gone to be home with the Lord named Darren Patrick. And Darren was not a perfect man. He was a good man, but he's not a perfect man. But man, he just had this weightiness about him. That's always how I remember him. When he would walk into a room, it was like everybody went, Darren's here. Like there was just something when he entered the room that there was this gravitational pull. I was like, how do I learn how to do that? I guess that's just a gift of the Lord, right? Think of that times infinity. That is the glory of God. His weight, his draw, his goodness. Scripture would even say this about the glory of God. In Exodus 24, it says, Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. There's a terrifying nature of something that's glorious. Like, man, this thing could consume me if I get too close. Revelation 21 says this, And the city, this is in the future when God comes to dwell with his people, and the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. The glory of God is beauty, right? It's His beauty. It's His wonder. It's that His, His very presence doesn't leave a space for anything to hide in the shadows, it uncovers injustice and wrong. It, it floods the world with right and goodness. And Peter is trying to tell us this morning, if you see his glory, if you really see it in a way that captures your soul, you know what happens? Unexplainable rejoicing will well up in you in your suffering. He says, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. The primary way that you will get to experience the glory of God in, in this life is in suffering. In suffering for the name of Christ. Be insulted for his name. See, we tend to lean away from suffering, right? Nobody hunts suffering. That's not what I'm telling you to do or what the Bible is telling you to do this morning. But we tend to lean away from it, don't we? Thinking like, man, the easier my life is, the more glory that will actually be found there. But Peter is telling us the opposite. If you want to experience the glory of God, if you want to experience true and indescribable joy, when you suffer, lean in. 
Don't lean away. Lean in. Cling to the Lord. That's where you find the glory of his presence. What does the text say? The spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. We can't miss this this morning. That means God makes his home with you. He stays with you. He does not rush out in the middle of your suffering. He is not eyeing his calendar for the next thing on his agenda or the next meeting that he has to get to. He is with you in your suffering. That's how you can rejoice in your suffering. This forces us to ask a couple of important things this morning. Number one, are you sharing in Christ's suffering? Are you, or are you avoiding it at all costs? We've been trained to avoid suffering at all costs. And again, I'm not telling you to look for it, but I am telling you to look for Jesus when you do suffer. Even before you look for an exit door from your suffering, look for Jesus. He's there. He shows up when his people suffer. The text tells us Christ's suffering, right? If we suffer for the name, this is when you, you stand boldly for your faith, even when it costs you, when it costs you the promotion or it, it costs you your dignity or it costs you respect. When you stand in that space that you know being a Christian will draw fire for you, do you shrink back in fear or do you keep being a devoted and obvious follower of Jesus? That's what it means to lean into that suffering, okay? This week, you're going to have a moment. You're going to feel it when you have a choice to make between standing in Christ or of backing up. Backing up is the opposite of rejoicing in your suffering. The second question there, are you seeing part of the gospel story or are you seeing the whole thing? We are people of the resurrection, which you know what that means? If we're really resurrection people, it means that death and suffering don't scare us. They don't get to push us around anymore. Paul would be as bold as to say, this completely counterintuitive phrase, death, where is your sting? Like he mocks death openly because he's a resurrection person. Suffering, though, has a way to keep us at the Friday of Jesus's cross, but cause us to block out of our memory the resurrection of Sunday. It gets so up in your face you forget that resurrection comes for God's people. Man, this morning, will you remember the whole of the gospel? That you were created to be with God? That you were separated from him because of your sin? But at great lengths and cost to himself, God stepped out of heaven and put on human flesh and pursued you to the point of laying down his life? of suffering. And then three days later, he rose vindicated by the father and excited, eager to share his resurrection with all who will come to him. 
That story is meant to anchor you in your suffering. And then finally, is God's glory fueling you in suffering? See, oftentimes in suffering, we we can lean on things other than the glory of God. I want to tell you what those things are. Those are like a, a lot of war illustrations today. I don't know what's going on with me. We can talk after though. Um, the other things that you lean on in suffering, it's like a sidearm, right? It's like a little pea shooter. But leaning on the glory of God is like a machine gun. Okay, that's the weapon. That's the main place you're called to fight from. Is God's glory the thing fueling you, protecting you in your suffering? If you want to see the Spirit's presence rest on your life, if you want rejoicing to be possible in your suffering, you've got to lean into God's glory. You got to lean in. You got to lean in. Last point, number three. Experience suffering for the right reason. I can remember no less than a dozen times in high school that I did what I call the pretest prayer. Anybody else do that? Like, God, I know I didn't study. I know I've never opened this book, but I'm asking for supernatural knowledge about the war of 1812 to just download into my consciousness right now. And I promise you, next time, I'm going to study, okay? Two months later, God, I know we've talked about this. I know, I remember. But this time, okay, we've made it up to the Spanish-American War. This is the last war I need you to teach me about. I will learn about the rest of the wars on my own, I promise. If you'll get me through this, man, I will serve you. I will be so nice. See, the funny thing is, <laughs> is that I'm asking God to bless my bad stewardship, right? I have a brain, I have a book, I know I'm called to study all of those things. And then when I show up and say, God, will you get in this? It's like, well, dude, I've been in it all along the trail. What are you asking me for? Why are you asking me to bless your disobedience? Suffering for disobedience is meant to lead us to repentance. It's meant to lead us to turn, to change. Suffering for following Jesus is meant to lead us to intimacy. It's meant to lead us close to him. Look back at the Bible, verse 15, it says this, but let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is, for it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? He says, let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, a meddler. He's saying, study for the stinking test, y'all. Don't... 
He doesn't want us to think of suffering that we experience because of our sin as the same as in the same category as suffering with Christ. In other words, he's saying, hey, y'all, if you're sinning, and then he lists a few very specific sins here, and it's ruining your life, that's not the same thing as suffering with Christ. That suffering, it, you need to repent. This is suffering of your own doing. It's suffering of your own making. If you murder someone and you go to jail, you are not facing a fiery trial. You are facing natural consequences. It's different. Now you can learn from natural consequences, but it's not the same thing. That's not what Peter's talking about here. That's for another sermon. <coughs> Christians are not supposed to suffer for their sin. They're supposed to suffer for their savior. Look back at the Bible. It says, yet yeah, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. When you bear Christ's name and you suffer for it, that is meant to be the primary reasons that believers suffer in this world. Not because we're playing around in the mud, right? But because we're leaning in to Christ to bear his name. There's something about that that feels so important. See, I used to do the opposite of this, honestly. I always tried to avoid telling people that I was a Christian or that I was a pastor in our initial conversations um, because, because I thought that people would go like, man, um, you don't talk about your faith at all, but you seem so cool. Like, tell me about your God. That never happened one time, right? No matter how cool I was, no matter how, how kind, how generous I was, me refusing to lean into my identity as a believer, as even a pastor, now I, now I lean into it, right? I'm like on an airplane, I'm like, um, hey, what do you do for a living? I do business. What do you do for a living? I'm a pastor. You know, we got to do this, right? Let's talk. See, see, the calling is not just to live differently in the world. The calling is to live openly different in the world. You suffer for the right reasons when you do that. This is a difficult posture to keep, to not be ashamed in this world. It's a lot easier to relate to people for suffering because of your sin than it is to suffering for your Savior, to stand in Him. It's a harder posture to keep. There are certain identities in the world other than Christian, you could, we could list a big list of them that our world loves. And if you lead with that identity, man, the world is going to celebrate you and love you. But guess what? If you lead with your identity as a follower of Jesus, the world will hate you. You will suffer. We need some gospel steel in our spines this morning. That's what Peter does. He says, for for it is time for, the, for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? See, that word judgment right there in the Greek, don't think of, don't think of punishment. Think of the discipline of a loving father. Think, that's what's going on here. 
The punishment for your sins was already taken. In Jesus Christ, they were already taken. The punishments were. Here's where he's getting at. That's a weird phrase right there. Judgment has already begun for the household of God. Here's what he's saying. For the Christian, your suffering is temporary and purposeful. It's temporary and it's purposeful. But the suffering coming for those who do not believe or for those who persecute you is eternal and it's punitive. It's punishment for wickedness. That's not your suffering, Christian. It's not your suffering. And he says this to drive home the point that he's been making this whole book. There is always a reason for a Christian's suffering. Always a reason. A couple of questions here. Number one, are you suffering because of your sins or because you're standing with Jesus? The way you answer that question at the heart level will make how you are called to respond today obvious. Some of you need to repent of sin that is bringing natural, painful consequences into your life. And because God is gracious, he is happy to sort through the mess of that. You come to him this morning. But if you're suffering for standing with Jesus, can I call you this morning to wait on the Lord? To wait on the Lord. He will vindicate you in the end. Your suffering is not forever. There is an end coming. And number two, this is a question I have to think through when, when I think about suffering for the right reasons. Are you embarrassed of being a Christian? I'll confess to you today, there have been moments that I have been embarrassed to be a Christian. It's not Jesus himself that embarrasses me at moments. It's his ethics because they're so unpopular in the world. Do this with your body and not that with your body. That's not a popular thing to say right now. But if his ethics embarrass us, you need to hear this this morning, it is only because his nature, who he is, has not gripped our hearts fully. Jesus has a way of calling out sinners very honestly without alienating them. We are not called to be embarrassed by Jesus. We are called to suffer with him, whatever the cost. You see, here, I'm almost done. Your situation in your sin was embarrassing. You were a mess, and so was I. But Jesus ditched his earthly dignity to cover your shame. Where Jesus was stripped and beaten, you were covered and healed. Here's the question this morning. Will you trust him with your shame? Will you trust him with your suffering? Every slight, every pain, every comment. You need to hear it this morning. It's the song we sung right before this. He is keeping tabs. Every place you have suffered, Jesus does not need a spreadsheet to keep track of those things. He holds them in his very heart. Jesus knows intimately every wound that his people bear on his behalf. And with complete sincerity, complete compassion, and complete thoroughness, he will heal your wounds with resurrection power. He's glad to do it. And his own resurrection is the down payment proving to you that the check will clear. 
He can do it. Will you trust him? Band, y'all can come on up. See, the alternative this morning is to trust another Savior who makes a promise. But here's the thing. Any other Savior you trust with your suffering this morning cannot deliver on the promises that they make you. You can trust him in your suffering today. Let's pray. Uh, well, Jesus, we, uh, we confess that we just need a ton of help to really trust you. The way you meet us is so good and gracious. We want to receive it this morning. Will you give us the strength? Will you open our hearts to receive that this morning and to walk out of here in courage, ready to stand, ready to suffer for the name? We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, y'all, however God is calling you to respond this morning, we want to help you respond. We typically respond here in New City in three ways. Number one, we reflect. How is God speaking to you through his word this morning? What is he pressing on your soul? Is there sin you need to repent of? Is there a truth about God's character that you actually need to receive as your own this morning? Reflect. And number two, we remember. We come to the Lord's table compelled by Jesus who took bread and wine and he broke the, the bread and he blessed the wine and he said, this is my body and blood shed for you. If Jesus' suffering was for you, this table is open to you. If his suffering is not yet for you, if you have not received the gift of salvation, if you haven't believed that his suffering was for you, this is a great time to sit in your seat and think, what would it look like for me to trust Jesus with my suffering today? And then number three, we rehearse. We're gonna open our mouths to sing, looking forward to the day that Jesus makes every wrong right. We're practicing rejoicing. We're teaching our bodies and our hearts what it means to say, I am gonna express the joy of my life in singing. There are two Lord's Supper stations here in the front, and then there's one back on the connection table, and then over in the coffee table area. New City, I love you. Respond when you're ready.